0: On Easter Monday, the family and I, we all headed off down to Brisbane on a road trip for a family lunch. It was probably the first time in quite a while we've all piled into the car for a trip that's longer than 10 minutes, but off we set, and for what must have been an absolute record, we only managed to get to the bottom of the range. In fact, we just got to Withcott when Theodore piped up and said, is this Brisbane? Five minutes out of Toowoomba. Well, Giovanna, who's our youngest, she had the quickest response, uh, spotting a phone tower on a hill in the distance. She said, we're in Paris. That's the Eiffel Tower. (laughs) Since the end of January, we've been tracking through the Gospel of Luke, considering the shape of God's kingdom and the shape of God's king. We've picked up from Luke chapter 17, as Jesus is on the path to Jerusalem, Considering the question that seems to be on absolutely everyone's mind, when will the kingdom of God arrive? That's the question. Friends and foes all basically have the same question. Jesus, are we there yet? Is this the time? Are you the one? The disciples have been waiting, and now having witnessed the risen Lord Jesus, they've seen him, spoken with him, shared meals with him well they basically ask the same question again jesus are we there yet you can always hear them thinking we know things haven't quite turned out like we expected we know you didn't exactly evict the romans in jerusalem as we assumed but now jesus now are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to israel Well, they're in for a surprise because the answer, as we heard in Acts chapter 1, verse 7, is this. If you've got your Bible or your Bible app open, be very handy. Acts chapter 1, verse 7. It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. God's kingdom first appears with the arrival of Jesus. God's kingdom is forged through Jesus' death. God's kingdom will be fulfilled when Jesus returns. But now, as the disciples live between Jesus' resurrection and his return, between the now and not yet, they have a job to do. They are to be his witnesses. The risen Lord Jesus, well, he's sending them out. He's sending them outward to tell the good news that it's all about him. That's why we're finishing our series not in Luke. That might seem like a bit of a surprise. We're not finishing our series in Luke, but in Luke's second volume, Acts chapter 1, verse 1. That's where we're finishing off. Don't be fooled, just because John separates Luke and Acts, they're actually connected. And so we read, as we heard, read Acts chapter 1, verse 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. The former book that Luke speaks about here—it's not a mystery; it's not some sort of lost prequel that was, you know, discovered later on. But the former book is the Gospel of Luke, and remarkably, I want you to note that Acts begins right where Luke left off. In fact, it overlaps with the ascension so luke chapter 24 we read while he that is jesus was blessing them he left them and was taken up into heaven only then in acts chapter 1 to read having a recap of all this happened so far acts chapter 1 verse 9 after he said this that is after he had commanded them to not leave jerusalem until they had received the holy spirit who would empower them to be witnesses to the ends of the earth So after he'd said that, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. Now, if you put those two accounts together, Luke and Acts, let's be clear here. Jesus hasn't ascended, descended, and then only to get to Acts to think, "Oh, he must be ascending again. Uh, Nor is Luke having some sort of memory lapse repeating himself. It's not some sort of recap like you get at the beginning of a Netflix episode that you can skip over. Luke is showing us critically, that the ascension is the hinge that connects how Jesus was at work through his teaching, death, resurrection, and how Jesus continues to be at work at today through his spirit as we await his return. As we, just like the disciples, live between the now and not yet. So today, as we finish our series looking at God's kingdom really want to focus on the ascension and how the ascension gives us three life-changing implications as we await Jesus' return, as we wait between the now and not yet. So three implications. Jesus is alive, therefore relate to him. Jesus is exalted, therefore worship him. And Jesus is returning, therefore proclaim him. So first, life-changing implication of the ascension. Because Jesus is alive, we can relate to him. The disciples and hundreds of others witnessed the risen Lord Jesus. In some recent research in Australia by McCrindle, you may have read it just during Easter, in this research they found that around 50% of Australians said they're not sure or they think it's possible that Jesus rose from the dead. Around half Australians, they're kind of on the fence. They're not sure. Well, what's amazing here is that Luke wants us, and actually everyone, to be left without a doubt that Jesus truly has been raised. We see that in verse 3 of Acts chapter 1. So Jesus, we're told, appears to the disciples over 40 days. We're told that he presented many convincing proofs that he was alive. You see, Luke expects this to be pretty surprising news and so he's setting out the evidence. One of the most remarkable pieces of evidence is that the the disciples go from being disillusioned, fearful and scattered to being passionate, courageous and focused. They are willing to go to the ends of the earth to proclaim the good news of Jesus even in the face of imprisonment, violence, rejection persecution and even martyrdom all the evidence points to the fact that Jesus did indeed rise physically from the dead but of course if Jesus rose from the dead but didn't ascend it would be meaningless for if Jesus didn't ascend it means one of two things it either means that Jesus is actually still knocking about somewhere hiding away tucked away out of sight which seems rather unlikely or that after he rose from the dead then he must have died again the consequence of that would be that christians don't have a living lord but a dead king in the ancient world when a roman emperor died it had become somewhat of a custom often that after they had died people would say that they had witnessed the soul of the emperor escaping from their body and going upwards towards the heavens but that is not what is being described here in luke chapter 24 and acts chapter 1 in luke chapter 24 luke says while he that's jesus was blessing him he left them and was taken up in acts chapter 1 verse 1 we read until the day he was taken up to heaven or verse 9 he says that he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight Luke is not metaphorically describing a spiritual ascension. In fact, it's critiquing all those other myths of the time. Nor did Jesus' body dissolve once it hits some sort of, you know, magical altitude or something like that. But that Jesus' whole body ascended. It's why the messengers could say in verse 11 that this same Jesus will return. Jesus isn't just a dead king, but the living Lord. Jesus isn't just a distant memory, but a living reality. Jesus isn't just a deity to learn about, but someone you need to get to know. The writer to the letter of the Hebrews, unpacking the full implications of Jesus' ascension, puts it like this, "'Now there have been many of those priests "'since death prevented them from continuing in office, "'but because Jesus lives forever,' He has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Israel would have had thousands of priests over the centuries, but the author states a really obvious problem. They keep on dying. With the death of Prince Philip, there's been endless conversation of the future and hypothetical lines of succession. Because it's absolutely evident to everyone, no one has to say this, that no matter how brilliant or loved the monarch is, death will eventually prevent them from continuing in office. But Jesus is different. Jesus isn't like the priests of old, who, as mediators between the people and God, kept having to make sacrifices over and over again for the sin of the people. But because Jesus rose, ascended, and therefore is alive, he is the one and the only, the final and the permanent. He'll never resign, slack off, go on holidays, switch jobs, retire, be embroiled in a scandal, or even die. He's the only one who can save completely. He's the only one who's done everything required. He's the only one who always lives to intercede for us. And the most remarkable news is that he is inviting us into a relationship with him today. See, being a Christian isn't just about being inspired by some guy who lived 2,000 years ago. Being the church isn't some sort of historical society or a fan club living in the past but we are people who have responded in relationship with the living King. And we together, as the church, are set out to live in a way that reflects his kingdom priorities in anticipation that he's returning. If you're uh, looking for inspiration, if you're just looking for inspiration, you've come to the wrong place. If Jesus was dead, we couldn't know him, speak to him, or ask for help. But the risen Jesus, well, he invites us to bring our whole lives to him. Nothing's left off the table. Our joy, the things for which we are sorry, our pain, our anxieties, our struggles at work, our struggles at home, our failures, our successes, the, the mess we experience, even the mess we create, he invites us to bring it all to him. Have you done that lately? See, you can study every single detail of Jesus' life. You could memorise every one of his words. You could even try to imitate every aspect of his example. But Jesus doesn't just want us to know about him. He wants us to know him. Because Jesus is alive, we can relate to him. Second, life-changing implication. Because Jesus is exalted, we worship him. At the end of Luke chapter 24, in response to witnessing Jesus ascend, we read that the disciples worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they stayed continually at the temple praising God. It's really quite surprising when you step back for a moment and you consider what is happening here. It's totally surprising that immediately after Jesus ascended, they worshipped him. Remember, these guys are Jews. They, they believe in the one God. They wouldn't even say the name of God, yet here they are worshipping Jesus. This is mind-blowing. And not only that, wasn't just for a moment, but they are filled with joy and they kept on praising God. So despite all their previous confusion, of all the things that they have witnessed... Their way of thinking has been so shattered, they are so gripped by the reality that Jesus had truly risen and ascended, that he's now exalted at the right hand of God, that they're worshipping him. That is, they're the directing their the hearts, their love, their adoration, their all, making Jesus the object of their whole lives. It's all to him. Not because they just appreciate all that he had to say or the example that he had to give, but because they recognise him as God's king, that this truly is God. Exalted not to just some earthly throne with limited authority over some designated space for a short amount of time, but exalted to the heavenly throne from where his authority is utterly exhaustive and knows no geographical and no temporal bounds. Imagine them falling on their knees, worshipping Jesus. is the only response that makes sense when you're gripped with the reality of what he has done and who he is. It's why in Acts chapter 7, when Stephen was moments away from being stoned to death, that he is able to face this situation and even ask for forgiveness for those who are persecuting him, not because of a strength that he mustered up, not because of some mindful this technique that he had mastered and pulls out at that moment but because he had a glorious vision of the ascended Jesus standing at the right hand of God that despite his horrific circumstances he knew that Jesus was ruling even in that moment he, he might not have understood the situation but he understood who is king That Jesus is Lord over all time every place and every person there there is not one person there is not a single domain whom his authority does not extend over I wonder when you think about the exalted the ascended Jesus when was the last time that you just wondered and marvelled at the glory of the Lord Jesus? Uh, when was the last time that you, you fell on your knees in awe of the Ascended One? I'm not suggesting you do that when you're in a cafe tomorrow or at work or anything like that. But when have we just marvelled and wondered at the glory of our Lord? So Jesus, not just our friend, He is the Lord of all, of every single facet of our lives, of every part of our identity he is the ultimate ceo of every single front line and just like the disciples when we see clearly who jesus is the proper response is to make him our all to worship him final life-changing implication because jesus is returning we proclaim him verse 10 Okay, so very quick lesson here. So followers of Jesus, as followers of Jesus, we wait for Jesus' return not by gazing into the sky. You can still admire the stars and everything like that, but we don't wait by just gazing at the sky or, or trying to predict the exact moment when Jesus is going to return. But we await Jesus' return by being his witnesses. But the disciples weren't to rush out yet because before Jesus left them, he had promised to send his spirit. So verse 4, Acts chapter 1. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So what we see here is that there is an intrinsic link between Jesus' going and the Spirit's arrival. Not, not because the uh, Spirit and the Son uh not because they can't be co-present or anything like that, because you know, otherwise the universe is going to collapse or something like that. But what Jesus wants us to see is that there is a fundamental link between his going and the disciples sending. Prior to the ascension, of course, the disciples just didn't get that. When Jesus tells them that they will receive power from the Holy Spirit, they seem to totally miss the point. Did you notice that? They totally miss the point about being witnesses, and said they think, woohoo, have we arrived? Is now the time that Israel will be restored to its former glory. Is now the time that the people of God will have their own political autonomy. But of course, what Jesus is talking about is not just a territorial kingdom or political autonomy, but the kingdom of God is breaking in through the forgiveness of sins. They're thinking about a kingdom for a particular place and a particular people at a particular time. But right now, it's about the reign of King Jesus, and it's available to everyone. You might recall, right at the beginning of Luke, Luke starts off at Galilee, and the trajectory is Jerusalem. But now, commissioned by the Lord Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit, the good news is launching out from Jerusalem to all people, Judea, Samaria, Jews and Gentiles to where? The ends of the earth. Even to Toowoomba. Verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. But the disciples couldn't do it on their own. They needed the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's why they had to wait in Jerusalem. But when compelled by the resurrection and empowered by the Holy Spirit, the message of the repentance of sins, offering life and forgiveness, it goes out like a shockwave across every city. And it's exactly the same message that continues today. In fact, it's our purpose. Christopher Wright, missiologist, he puts it like this. Jesus did not give a mission to his church. He formed a church for his mission. Without the mission... A church is not a church, it's just a group of disobedient Christians hanging out. (laughs) It can feel really intimidating sharing something about Jesus on our front lines. It can feel really uncomfortable acting in a countercultural way. Sometimes our reputation or our, our status, it can be on the line. We might be nervous about the knockbacks we might receive. Sometimes it can just feel like the cost is going to be too high. We can even feel just totally powerless of where to start. But remember, wherever God has placed you, you go just as the disciples, not by your own authority or in your own strength, but you go by the same authority of the one who is exalted over all things. You go empowered with the Holy Spirit that sent the disciples out. You go with the same good news of who Jesus is, of all that he has done, and what he's promised to do. Last week one of our beloved members of St Bart's, Arnold Lofthouse, Arnold went home to the Lord. Arnold lived quite an amazing life for Jesus and he was active telling people about Jesus right up until the very end. But on one occasion when he was asked what is the most important thing that you have learnt in your entire life, he responded quickly and simply, that I am a sinner and Jesus is our saviour. It's all about Jesus. Because Jesus is alive, exalted and returning, he is the one that we're called to know, worship and proclaim. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much in your incredible kindness and grace that you sent Jesus, that you sent Jesus to show us your love, to die for our sins, to rise victoriously, to be exalted at your right hand as we await his return. Lord, how we adore you, how we love you, how we thank you. And Lord, I especially pray this day that, we might renew our worship of you, that Jesus might be the object of our adoration, of our praise, that we might direct our whole lives for your glory and for your praise alone. Lord, we particularly pray for anyone who's still weighing up the claims of Jesus, still weighing up if they think he rose from the dead. Lord, please help them to see so clearly of who Jesus is and truly what he has done, that they might respond to your invitation for forgiveness and relationship. And Lord, that you would empower us by your Holy Spirit, that you would embolden us and give us courage every single day that we might show and share the good news of your Son. And so we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.